Hello, Brandon Goldner here, and we will get to our discussion with myself and Ryan about the NBA lottery. But before that, had to jump in here real quick because between when we recorded and when this episode is being released, it was announced that Damian Lillard has made third team all NBA. It is Damian Lillard's seventh all NBA selection, which puts him with the likes of Patrick Ewing, Hal Greer, who, who is Hal Greer? James Harden, Allen Iverson, Tracy McGrady, Steve Nash, Bill Sharman, Dominique Wilkins, and Scotty Pippen, all players who have seven All-NBA selections. It was a little touch and go this year, not because of his stats, but because of games played and the Blazers tanking the last third of the season. Just as a reminder, Damian Lillard averaged a career-high 32 points a game, career-high 46% field goal percentage, career-high 64% true shooting percentage, career-high 57% two-point percentage. Hang with me here. And 7.3 assists, 4.8 rebounds, and shot 37% from deep. Damian Lillard had a year. It was a career year for Dame coming off that abdominal injury that threatened to take away the last part of his prime. It was good to see him at his best. And again, him making third team, you know, it was touch and go. And if you look at the rest of the All-NBA team, just to spit it out real quick, first team was Giannis Antetokounmpo, Jason Tatum, Joel Embiid, Shea Gildas-Alexander, Luka Doncic. Second team was Nikola Jokic, Donovan Mitchell, Steph Curry, Jimmy Butler, Jalen Brown. And then third team had Dame, DeMontis Sabonis, De'Aaron Fox, Julius Randle, and LeBron James. If the Blazers had played better, if Damian Lillard had played more games, he would have easily been second team, probably would have been knocking on the door of All-NBA first team. And look, I think you can rightfully say Luka Doncic, his team didn't make the playoffs. Why is he first team? Shea Gildas-Alexander, his team didn't make the playoffs. Why is he first team? Leave it aside. It's amazing what happened that Damian Lillard again picked for his seventh All-NBA team. He was already ahead of Clyde Drexler as far as how many All-NBA teams a Blazers player had made. Clyde is there at five All-NBA selections. And a little surprisingly, so was LaMarcus Aldridge. I guess when you just think about like how good was LaMarcus Aldridge, how good was Clyde Drexler, that you would think Clyde would have more than those five selections. But then again, he, you know, played in the era of Michael Jordan. So maybe that, you know, took a bit away from him. But at any rate, just had to sneak in there because Ryan and I didn't get a chance to talk about because it had not happened when we had recorded. Now it has Damian Lillard, super deserving. That makes seven all-star selections and seven all-NBA selections. And just one more time, there are only... Let's see. Now there are only 35 other players. Actually, this might be updated, but you know, 30 plus players who have more all NBA selections than Damian Lillard. Uh, pretty shocking and maybe not super surprising to see the top of this list is LeBron James. Now, I believe with 19 Kareem and Kobe and Tim Duncan, all with 15 and then Carl Malone. Ugh. Actually, let's go with Shaq <laughs> at fifth with 14 selections. We don't talk about Carl Malone here on the, we like the Blazers podcast. Anyways, Damian Lillard, All-NBA, super deserving. I get the argument about the team. It was tanking. He didn't play enough games. Look, he was he was a first-team All-NBA level player. And whether or not he gets that recognition will be lost in the sands of time because really what we talk about when people retire is how many times did you make All-NBA? So for Dame, for now, it's seven. Maybe a podcast for another day. Can you get to 10 All-NBA selections? I don't think it's out of the question. Anyways, I want to get us to the show with me and Ryan much more interesting because he's much smarter than I am. I can't even talk right now. We do talk about the NBA draft lottery. We're going to get to that right now. 
what is up? You have found We Like the Blazers. I am Brandon Golder here in teal and there in red and black, which is much more appropriate colors for the Blazers, is the one and only the witty Ryan Whitledge. Ryan, what's up, dude? What is up? It feels like it's been, oh, I don't know, like nine months since I've podcasted. I don't know. Have I, I missed know. that It's many? almost as if somebody no-call no-showed. I wonder, <laughs> I wonder who that could have been. Ryan. It wasn't me. Wasn't definitely me. wasn't you. Uh, it's almost no. as if this is something that we do because we enjoy it and not because it's our jobs. Um, shout out to all of the Blazers and NBA reporters out there. But yeah, man, how are you doing? Wait, tell the listeners, we're not doing video today, but tell us, look at what is behind you. Explain where it is that you're sitting and why you're sitting there. So for anybody who watched video before, uh, I am in a room that is now filled with everything that was shoved inside the sports hutch. So now that we've, you know, we're almost a month into our new house. You got and, a new house! And, Let's uh, go! And, and in this house, there was what they build as, quote-unquote, an upstairs laundry room. And I saw it, and, you know, the so this is the wife's desk now that's up here. But she has an actual office downstairs. It's one of those. It actually has a built-in office room, so she didn't need this anymore. And I was like, oh. Right. I said, I can fit the desk in there and turn that into the man cave. Everybody laughed at me, including the wife. She's like, there's no way. Why? I was like, I can do it. Just because it was such a small, weird, awkward space. Yeah. And so, yeah, I went and rewired it all myself, installed uh, about six new outlets in it. And uh, then from being at Nike, there was a whole bunch of the acoustic panels that were left over. So uh, I have the entire ceiling acoustic paneled off. I have some that are strategically placed around me. Uh, painted the room those acoustic black. panels are insulated by Phil Knight's tufted hair. <laughs> and then uh and then painted painted in a red and black color scheme uh painted the ceiling to match the gray panels uh have the desk in here mounted a flat screen tv and then hung all the rest of my stuff and got some shelving and uh now the wife is always giving me crap for being a shitty decorator and having the taste of a quote-unquote typical college boy <laughs> and uh when i was done and unveiled it to her she's like i'm not gonna lie this actually looks significantly better than what i thought you were gonna do with this so it even Dude, it needs the so life seal of approval so and jokes on them uh you know having a space where you can actually control the sound is like the number one thing that most people who do podcasts can't do like this room that i'm in is very bouncy i try to shove a towel behind the mic and it's basically just blank walls. Yeah, I'm I'm legitimately jealous. Uh, I am also very happy for you and your family. Congratulations on the house. That's a huge milestone, one that I hope to yes. one day achieve. I'm sure that may possibly happen for me, but uh, not right now. Uh, so in the meantime, I will be jealous. Um, well, the, the joke I keep maintaining is everybody asks me how I feel after I cut my first uh, mortgage check. So that's still... Yeah, well, at least... <laughs> ask ask I mean, me June 2nd how I feel about it. <laughs> Yeah, but I mean, at least you're investing in yourself and in something that is an asset that you control or instead of throwing your money into an endless money pit of landlord does whatever they want. So, yeah, I yeah, the the world of renting is necessary. And, you know, again, I've been a renter my whole life. Um, I am looking forward to being able to invest in something the way that you did. It's very, very cool. So congrats. It, 
it was a lot of hard work and a long road to get back. And, you know, the, the wife, this is her first house. So this was her lifelong dream to, to have a place to call her own. This is my second. Yeah. I, I had a house when I was with my ex, but you know, S hit the fan shortly after divorce and I ended up losing that thing. So, uh, it was, it, it was one of those things where I was like, ah, I wasn't sure if we'd make it back, but yeah, no, it was, a. Uh, couple of years of some really hard work and then a very fucking chaotic last 30 days <laughs> before we actually got the keys. And yeah, no. So it's, it's nice. And, and, you know, we kind of purged everything that we had most of what we had when we moved. Mm. So that's, uh, that's kind of like the other interesting thing about it is like, we're still kind of in a phase of where like there's pictures of us hanging up, but we're like, why are there pictures in this rental? Because, you know, you have (laughs) various things like new furnitures or new bed or new couch. And we're just like, you know, you're looking around and you're not seeing like that much of like stuff like that we're used to seeing for like the last eight years. Cause we just decided fresh start, get rid of it. But yeah, no, it's, it's definitely been a process. I had my first like full on, like, homeowner dad thing experience yesterday you know it's nice weather and so i got the pressure washer out and went and pressure washed yes. the driveway and cleaned the fence and all you that. Know, pressure washing is up there for me with mowing the lawn and sometimes doing weeding depending on the type of weeding that is like fully fully satisfactory um oh yeah I, no, I, in, I intended to just pressure wash like a trellis and a sidewalk. And uh, now my gutters are <laughs> solid. My driveway is golden. The sidewalk in front of my place is good. All the cars are washed. <laughs> it's amazing how the combination of like a pressure washer and an edger can make your lawn and your concrete. I mean, it, it honestly makes your house look like twice as good. Just those two things right there. Yeah. So shout out to all the pressure washers and edgers out there. Well, I mean, honestly, again, like last time, Congratulations. You all deserve it. It's really, really cool. Um, and yeah, like obviously like the logistics of getting a house are a huge pain in the ass and you do have those mortgage checks to cut, but again, at least you're investing in yourself. So congratulations. The Blazers are investing. How do you like that transition? The Blazers are investing in both their past and their future and their present. So past, present and future, uh, the news broke. We wanted to talk about how, well, first of all, let's just look, we haven't been on the pod for a while. This show is going to be about the draft lottery. Okay. That's the, that's the topic. The draft lottery is, is remind me it is it's next week. Today we're recording Pacific hey, time, Tuesday, w- May nine. Uh, yep. The draft lottery is, is, I believe it is next Wednesday. Let me see. Uh, Tankathon has it set for oh, uh, six days, 21 hours, five minutes and 36 35, 34 seconds from this time of recording. Just so what day is it? I believe it's Wednesday. Why don't we just go ahead and Google NBA draft lottery, which is happening. Why doesn't it say, uh, Yes. On Tuesday, May 16th. Okay. So <laughs> this, this is great for a pod in which we're going to do nothing but talk about the draft lottery. We're well researched on it. What, with when it's happening. One, what day? Yeah. It's know. good to start. The point, the point is we haven't been here for a while. The draft lottery is happening in about a week. It's happening on Tuesday. Um, anything from wild disappointment to franchise altering great news we're going to run through the different scenarios that the Blazers might find themselves in next week. But before we did that, I just wanted to kind of get your reaction and my reaction because we are both Blazers fans and analysts, question mark, Blazers fans of a certain era where this news, I think 
hit us both pretty hard in the nostalgia bone. The Blazers announced that their representative for the NBA draft lottery is none other than the natural Brandon Roy. I, there are so many reasons why I love this, and I know you do too. Um, I, I'm going to kick it to you, but just really quickly that the last time and the only time that Brandon Roy was a representative for the Trailblazers in the NBA draft lottery was when the Blazers got the number one pick, which they then used to select a player, but they got so the number one on pick. His knees. And so, and also like, I will say this too. Have you seen the video? It's from inside of a, of a, of a brew pub and it's with Mike and Mike and they're doing the NBA draft lottery party. Did, have you seen this video from two, from 2000 and, um, hello, uh, whatever draft that was at Odin was selected 2000 and the 07 draft was it 07. Yeah. Um, do you have you seen that video of the NBA draft lottery party with Mike and Mike as the Blazers were finding it? It sounds like you haven't seen this video. I no, like, no. I, I feel like I should put a link to it in the podcast description, but it is so much fun to see the they're kind of counting down and counting down. The Blazers had seventh best odds and they announced the seventh pick, and it's not them. And the, the odds were a little bit different back then. It's we'll go through the odds for this year's lottery, but they got to seven and it wasn't Portland. And so you knew right away that they had jumped up to the top four and people went nuts and they go through six and then five. Okay. Fourth pick. And it wasn't them again. And then they had, it was it. So Brandon Roy representing the Blazers, Dominique Wilkins representing the Hawks and then coach former coach Lenny Wilkins representing the supersonics. I forget. He must've had a role with them at that time. I don't think he was coaching them anymore. Um, but also I, a lot of rambling here, but uh, I think Lenny Wilkins was a player coach when the Sonics won the championship in 78. I don't fact check me on that, but either had just retired or was coaching the Sonics at that point. But the point is, and they go through number three, and it was the Hawks. They got a top two pick. And then number two goes to the Sonics. Like the whole place totally explodes. Mike and Mike are like high five each other. I think that Antonio Harvey and wheels were also there. If memory serves, this video is a must see. If you're a Blazers fan to see the Blazers winning the 2009 draft lottery, that was the last time. And the only time that the Blazers sent Brandon Roy to be their representative at the NBA draft lottery. So Ryan, I'm so sorry. This is what happens when I'm absolutely no notes. I just talk like an <laughs> idiot. Stream you of heard this news today. Yeah, I know mm -hmm. you heard this news today. What? What did you feel? What was your reaction? What went through your head? I could not believe that it actually happened. Cause this is something, you know, this is one of those like fan yeah. fiction. We've heard people say like, Oh, well they should get Roy because of the reason of like, Oh, it's the good juju. Cause the last time he was, you know, last time he was there, we, we got the number one pick. So of course we need to do it. And it's just kind of one of those things where it's like, Oh, really? Come on. Like, Roy has had a strained relationship with this franchise since 2011. You know, it's been an issue to get him even back in the building. Like I think last time he came and we have that photo of like him and Dame, I think it was like for a Jamal Crawford thing or something yeah, and, not, right. and not even like anything like blazer specific related. And so, you know, it's just been the strain. So to hear this news, I was more, 
I, I wasn't into like, Oh, let's, let's bring the good luck charm or anything like that. Like, if, don't get me wrong. Like if you want to appease the basketball gods, this <laughs> is a step in the right direction. Yeah. But I was more along the lines of being excited that this is a step in the right direction for the relationship between Roy and the organization to kind of be mended. And whether that be because now we're a couple steps removed from anybody that was involved in that, you know, obviously, you know, Paul Allen had his issues with him for, you know, the insurance money and coming out of retirement and all that stuff, you know, we're different GM, a couple different GMs down the road, you know, a couple different president of basketball operations down right. the road. Well, we're really quick on that. Cause the Blazers had like amnestied Roy. And if he, and, and he was medically retired. So the Blazers got like salary relief, Correct. but if he were to play a certain number of games, the Blazers would be back on the hook. And then he came back to the Timberwolves and did indeed play that certain number of games, even though it was clear that he was, you know, done. Um, yeah. Yeah. Correct. So they used the amnesty clause on him and, uh, you know, the money that was paid out to him was covered by insurance because he was going to medically retire on that. And, but then when he signed with the Timberwolves within whatever the window time frame was, cause it wasn't immediate. I want to say like he took a season off and then it was after that he decided to give it a go. That's right. Um, That's right. It, it fell within that insurance time frame window. And so Paul Allen ended up having to cut that, you know, the remaining part of that $88 million contract to the insurance. And yeah, that kind of, you know, granted, Which you is want rough. Big... it's rough because I mean, the dude, I, I'm actually pretty sure he needed to have played five games and he played precisely five games. And so it was yeah. like, it, it felt a little, the optics of it weren't, weren't good. So yeah, but, I which mean... is, it's rough because like, I don't think I, I, you know, I can't remember how I felt about it at the time to be completely honest. It was a really long time ago. But, Mm -hmm. you know, Brandon Roy, it's not like he didn't want to play. Like, obviously he did. Obviously he, he had like, you know, in the playoffs, like his knees were going out. He came back, had that last final hurrah. I think it was in 2011. Like, obviously he put his entire body and his, the future of his joint health on the line to play basketball. Like dude wanted to play. So that wasn't the question, but so yeah. And and, I mean, we, we can pontificate about like, what was the reason? Like what it was it because I just saw you know, your monocle sneak out of your breast pocket as you <laughs> said the word pontificate. Thank you for that. You're welcome. But like, was it the organization that was sour on him because of that? Or, you know, well, Roy also, always kind of a private it, dude. Also. Exa- like, exactly. Since, since he, since he retired, since he got out of the league, he's kind of, he's been very private and personable, you know, like that was one of the, he was kind of, forced to be the face, you know, of the franchise and he, he carried it well for not being that much of an outgoing guy. But since he's been done playing, I mean, he's coaching high school basketball, you know, up in, up in Seattle. So he's just kind of doing his own thing. So maybe now he's just reached a point in his life where he's, I don't know, comfortable stepping back into some sort of light in that regard, especially tied to the franchise, this franchise. So I, you know. I agree. And a franchise like the Blazers, it has so little tangible connection with its past. I mean, you think about all the players who played for the team who were like true diehard, you know, I love the Blazers franchise. And how many of them are there? Like there's Dame, there's Dame. 
Uh, and then, you know, then I don't know, like, I mean, probably, you know, you'd say Jerome Kersey who, you know, rest in peace and Kevin Duckworth, I, Terry Porter is probably one of those people I would say, mm-hmm. but certainly not Clyde Drexler, certainly not LaMarcus Aldridge, you know, certainly not. I mean, Bill Walton had his checkered history with the team. And so the fact I'm with you, the thing that matters to me as a fan is that Brandon Roy was my favorite player had the best first name ever, obviously. And, you know, to see this it is really cool. It's like a connection to the past. It helps you kind of like, I don't know, care about the team in a way that I, I don't know, man, it, it, it honestly, it, it awakened within me parts of my fandom that I thought were dead. Like I just thinking about the Brandon Roy era is just different than thinking about the team. Now I'm a different person. The team is, di- I mean, the world is different. So it was really, really cool to see. That's how, that's how it hit me. I was like, no way. And I know that, Joe Cronin was, I mean, he, he, Joe Cronin does a decent amount of media, especially compared to his predecessor, but he was on Jack Ramsey's with Danny Meringue. Uh, actually Brandon Sprague did not make that episode, but Danny and, and, no. and Danny asked him, do you know who's going to represent you at the lottery? And Joe Cronin's like, yeah, but I can't tell you who it was. And now we find out that it's B Roy super, super yeah. cool stuff. Well, and, you know, to kind of touch back to, I mean, you ask about like people that, you know, love the franchise. It's there's, there's also a difference too. There's people that, you know, love and have close ties to the franchise. And then also the people that love and have close ties to the community and the city, because I mean, for just as many people, I mean, and it kind of, it's a knock on how the organization maybe used to be run that people would not want to be associated, you know, players of like our generation from when we were growing up that we were watching didn't necessarily want to be associated with the team but they all still lived here. They all still have houses in Lake Oswego and West Lynn and they're at, you know, no, love the true. area, but, but they don't want anything to do with the team. So anyways, I just hope that this is a good sign for like a turning of the leaf or turn, you know, turning of the page, you know, with the, with the franchise and kind of mending a relationship. Now, whether this leads to, you know, a Jersey retirement or whatever, or, you know, him coming and, you know, being an honorary captain at a game or something like that. I don't care. This is, this is one of those cooler things that they could do, you know, Just eventually let it his, be its it, own thing and appreciate yeah, it. And, and, yeah. and if they turn around and after this, like say, and you know, we'll get into this conversation here in a little bit, but you know, say they get the number one pick, they draft Victor for the love of God. Don't then turn around and like immediately do like a Jersey retirement ceremony for Roy, like within the first week of the season. <laughs> That needs to be like, don't like, don't think it that way. Don't cheapen it. That needs to be its own thing. You know, a couple of years down the road, that would be very cynical. Isn't quite the right word, but something it would be very weird. Right. And that's mm-hmm. not going to happen. I don't think we have to worry about that. Yeah. It's man. It's cool. It's cool. And again, like I'll just repeat this point where the, the Blazers franchise doesn't have enough winning in its history to connect generations of fans together. I don't think And so then you think about what is it that people connect with, with a sports team? It's sure. It's the laundry, I guess, but that's not really, it's really the players. That's what it is. That's what connects you and I with the blazers in the same way that perhaps our children or nieces and nephews or whatever people of different generations connect with the team through the players and having this bridge, even if it's just this one gesture is cool. It gets people thinking about it. It gets people looking up highlights, Brandon Roy highlights. Like 
watching him play, imagining what he could have done if he had had a healthy career. Like just I went back and watched the game four freaking highlight video again after the news on YouTube when I got home from work. Cause that that's that is honestly like one legendary. of the first times. Yeah, it's legendary. And it's also one of the first times in my life, like, and I granted I was, you know, what just you know twenty eh, something. Maybe, no, that'd have been, yeah, just in my early twenties, you know, one of the, or right before one of the first times in my life that I can remember crying for sports yeah. watching that game. So, I mean, and just looking at the 2011 playoffs, the eventual champion Dallas Mavericks, you know, that game was game four. It was in Portland and Brandon Roy comes off the bench and just has this incredible end of the game. Uh, it ends with 24 points, four boards, five assists, uh, nine of 13 shooting when it was clear that he was physically limited and, you know, winning that game, you're two, two going back to Dallas. And I mean, you know, if again, it's what if, what if, what if, but like, you know, if Roy had been healthy, that series could have been different. If that, if Roy had been healthy, I'm not saying the Blazers would have won the championship, but it's possible that Dallas wouldn't have won. I mean, it's weird to think that the legacy of Dirk Davitsky hinges on Brandon Roy, not being healthy for that series. And ultimately that was the end of his career in Portland. But um, it, yeah, man, it's, it's, so it gets you. The point is seeing Brandon Roy gets people to think about that stuff. And that's the kind of thing that the, the franchise doesn't really have and needs more of. And by the way, is my argument why the Blazers need to do everything in their power to make sure that Damian Lillard retires a blazer. That is a conversation for a different day, but is there anything else on Brandon Roy being a representative of the blazers in the draft lottery that you wanted to hit on? Nope. I just, you know, I think it's, it's like I said earlier, good to appease the basketball gods with this kind of stuff. They like the feel good mojo energy. So uh, let's, you know, let's lean into that. Uh, Do, do I think it's, it can actually work? No, but well, to be fair, to, try. Um, to be fair, if the world worked this way, where talismans and lucky socks change the outcome of our lives, we'd be living in a very strange and chaotic world. So, you know, I don't believe in any of that. And if you do, that's totally OK. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I'm with you. Like, to me, this is more about the connection with the team and the franchise. Um, and so now let's talk. Ryan about the NBA draft lottery happening next week. If you're in the Northern hemisphere in the United States happening next week, Tuesday, the 16th, uh, your Wednesday, my Wednesday, be really nice to know the time too. It wouldn't be nice if we actually knew what we were doing. We told people where they could tune in. You can tune in at five 30 Pacific next Tuesday on ESPN. I don't know whether this is, something you can stream on league pass or not. I'm assuming, I don't know, actually. I mean, it's being carried it'll by probably be, It'll probably be before one of the games, but I will say this locally. If anybody's Portland, Vancouver, greater area, um, Go to Jack Ram- well, no, I w- well, you can come here. I won't be here because, uh, the Jack jacked Ramsey's and then, uh, you know, the station that employs, uh, most of or the two hosts on that 1080, the fan, they are going to be at bricks tavern all day doing live shows and live streams. And then Danny and Sprague will actually be doing a live pod recording and whatnot reaction to the draft lottery. So anybody is down there, bricks tavern, uh, the entire station and uh, all the guys and everybody will be 
be down there, uh, starting at about noon. So, you know, show up, grab a seat, whatever, hang out. I'm sure. The festivities will get started about, you know, four, four thirty or whatever, but yeah, so that's noon next week, Tuesday, May 16th, <laughs> just to reiterate the date yet again. Um, so that that's, that's cool. I wish I could be there. Obviously I'm in the incorrect hemisphere to attend such an event. Um, but we wanted to talk about what we think might happen, what the implications might be for Portland, what they might do, what we're thinking about for Portland, depending on where they end up in the lottery. Ryan, we didn't, you know, per usual, because we're both slackers, we didn't really discuss how we would run this through. My thought really quick is to go through the different odds at different positions and then to do it in reverse order. So starting uh, with the step, step one, I think what we need to do is individually go through uh, Chad Dewing's Twitter replies and find all the individuals who constantly ask him what percentage do the Blazers have at getting certain picks <laughs> and then just send those people a link to Tankathon and an instructional video on how to use Google. Because I am always massively Welcome to your computer. If you'd like I to know about massively something. confused about how people can tweet people questions about information that would take less time to Google. So the same thing that you can use to tweet, you can use to look up information. And sometimes you're like us and you're unprepared, but we did eventually find it. So yeah, go to tankathon.com um, and look at the pick odds. So yes, I, I agree. So let me, unless you object, I'm going to go through the odds that the Blazers can have certain picks. And then we're going to go in reverse order, starting at the worst possible pick. And then we'll kind of reiterate the odds as we do it. And we'll talk about if they end up at a particular pick or maybe in a particular range, what we think it means for the Blazers, what we think it might mean for what they can do what we think it might mean for how they can build, what we think it might mean for next year and moving forward. Does that sound okay to you? Sounds fantastic. Okay. Well, the Blazers ended the season with the fifth best lottery odds, and that's a little bit more confusing than you might think, and you'll find out why right now. The worst possible pick that the Blazers can get in the lottery next week is ninth. The odds are not very good that they're going to get ninth. They have a 0.6% chance of getting ninth. Then they have an 8.7% chance of getting eighth. And then you move into the 26.7% chance of getting seventh. That's the highest likelihood that they have of getting any single pick is seventh. And you might be asking, well, that kind of seems like bullshit. They're fifth best odds. And you're saying the best chance they have at any pick is seventh. Well, the accumulated odds of getting a pick above seventh are much greater than getting seventh or below. So that's where this comes in. And maybe if I had been more organized, I would have said there's a this much chance of getting this range of picks, but bear with me as I move through it. So 26%. Well, and, and, and the reason that they can drop down too is because every other team that's in this range also has a possibility of popping up. And once a team pops up, you drop right. down. That's kind of, it's how that lottery system works. Everybody's Thank slotted you. differently. Thank you. And to, that's a good point to note that any team in the lottery has a chance of getting a top one, two, three, or four pick. And then depending on where they are, there could be a gap between then when they would have their next best odds. If you're looking at the odds, it's kind of like a stair step and a gap starts being created depending on where your lottery odds are. 
Um, so the Blazers, I'm just going to do some quick math. They have about a 35% chance of getting picks seven through nine. Um, so that would not be great. Then you move to the sixth pick 19.6% chance. Weirdly, they only have a 2.2% chance of getting fifth. And Ryan, to your point, that's because there's a greater likelihood that either the Blazers move up or someone behind them jumps ahead. And because of that, there's very little chance that the Blazers will actually just stay at fifth. Yes. So there's more of a statistic possibility that somebody around them moves and they get shoved out of their spot. Right. And that's why, I mean, if you're watching this, if you're watching the lottery live and you get to nine and it's not them, you're like, thank God, you get to eight and it's not them. Okay, good. Then you're really starting to pay attention at seven. And if they're not at seven and they're not at six, it's very unlikely that they're going to be at five and they could be, but they're probably not going to be. So that's kind of your first stage of watching is really right there. And then you get to picks four, three, two, and one. The Blazers have a 10 and a half percent of getting any of those picks. Uh, they have a 10 and a half percent chance of getting four, 10 and a half percent chance of getting three, 10 and a half percent chance of getting two and 10 and a half percent chance of getting the number one pick. So mm-hmm. uh, that's about a 42% chance of getting a top four pick. So yes. Agg- aggregate numbers, 42% overall for a top four. So, man, that's a lot of numbers. I, if I'm trying to, like, I pride myself on being able to take a lot of information and make it sound simpler, which, by the way, like, chat GPT is going to take that specific skill that I think I have and make it pretty much obsolete. Uh, but anyway, until a robot takes my job, the Blazers have a very good chance of getting picks six through eight. And they also have a very good chance of getting picks one through four. So I don't know, like let's now back up to the ninth pick and let's just start here. Let's say that lightning strikes in the absolute worst possible way. And every team that can jump ahead of the blazers does so. And the blazers get the ninth pick, which again, they only have a 0.6 chance, 0.6% chance of happening. Ryan, if the blazers get the ninth pick, What happens? Well, I think they have to select Grady Dick, the small forward from Kansas, right? No, sorry. I just needed to work his name into this as I'm looking. (laughs) Is that a real player? Yes, he's Grady Dick. from. He's a small forward from Kansas. He was their star player. (laughs) I wonder if his nickname is just Grady. Well, most people that I heard just always referred to him as Dick. So, (laughs) Well, Grady Dick, I have actually never heard of this player, to be completely honest. So, well, he averaged 15.5 points, 5.7 rebounds, 1.8 assists, 0.3 blocks, and 1.6 steals in uh, per 36 at Kansas. Anyways. So, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Hold on. No, I'm I'm being facetious here because they're not going to select that. The only, and and I'm sorry to kill your vibe here, but I'll have the same answer for picks 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, You're not killing the vibe. You're allowed to say what you want to (laughs) say. If the Blazers do not get the number one overall pick, that just means that they're trading it. And okay, let's start there. And it's and I like how you like. I'm in, like, what? I don't. I don't buy that. But tell me your case. You don't. 
I do not. Because if we're going to buy the 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 line that Cronin has been selling, and that I mean, even he just reiterated on that episode that you were talking about of the Jack Ramsey said he did that their their intent is to build the best team that they can around Damian Lillard. Look and at I think all of the that op- it's very possible that doing that means not trading a pick, even if it's not the number one pick. Oh, see, I'm completely opposite. If you, well, can if, I explain then, why? Or like, I, well, th- this is my uh, real quick. This am is, I, am this I allowed is my to table. talk, Ryan? No, I'm you are not. I'm asking permission you, to interrupt you and substitute my own stupid voice. My bloviations I, I have for your good analysis. Stick. No, it's just so like when you're looking at a draft that it's generational talent right now, everybody's planning for Victor and the minute that they don't have him, they're going to have to go into, Oh shit. Look, you know, look around mode, whatever. They're going to try to trade it that I believe. Correct. And the, and it's one of their best trade chips because if you're going to look at trading a player such as either Shaden Sharp, God forbid, or Anthony Simons or whatnot, you package it with, you know, a top, I would hope for pick or whatnot. In this case, you package it with that. It makes those trade packages a lot easier. It makes that Avenue a lot easier. So, but I'm still of the, I'm still of the belief too, that like, even if it's a, you know, a five through nine, that, that thing's still on the board. They're, they're not trying to keep it in any way, shape or form. They're using it to try to facilitate whatever, try to big swing trade that they want to make in that case. Anyways, go ahead and tell me why I'm wrong. I think the reason why you're terribly wrong and just so dumb for having that opinion. No, just kidding. Um, I don't think they can necessarily trade a pick if they get it, if it's not number one, I think that the problem, like, I do think they're going to try to do that, but you have to look at what's happening around the league, particularly in the playoffs. And I know it's been a fun game to like on blazers, Twitter, every time a team gets eliminated, we're like Photoshopping that team's players into blazers jerseys. Like I did it today from the, uh, I'm not, I'm not putting that bad juju out there. Well, I, I, from our own podcast account on Twitter at like the blazers, I tweeted out, you know, Photoshop of Jalen Brown in a blazers Jersey because the Sixers beat the Celtics today. Um, so, uh, but the problem is that it takes two to tango and the problem I believe is whether the perceived value of the pick is going to be enough with the salary filler that the Blazers have to add up to the type of player who the Blazers think they should get in return for such a high pick. I think it's actually pretty likely that if the Blazers get like, I think what's going to happen if the Blazers get picks number two or three, or maybe even four, that Joe Cronin and the Blazers front office will value that pick more highly than teams willing to trade players. And so I think it means that the Blazers will actually end up keeping that pick and that creates its own set of questions. But what I don't think is going to happen is the Blazers trading number two or number three, or even number four for a player who they genuinely don't think is worth it just to appease Damian Lillard. I actually don't think that's going to happen. Correct on that front. I don't think that they're going to toss a pick out there like that. Just they're not going to do the old Shea of the, I made a move just to make a move. And so that I can talk about the big move, you know, regardless of if it was the smart move. But one of the things too, to think about is, is with how so far everything is shaping up in the league teams that are, you know, teams that are still in the playoffs teams that flamed out early. Um, you know, I Woj had mentioned this, that, you know, it's good. Teams are trying to get their books in order and whatnot. And they're trying to, 
tear or tear it down from having three stars to two stars, you know, trying to, trying to get those moves and a very good way to be. And, and so basically you're looking at, it's, it's not necessarily going to be a buyer's market, which doesn't necessarily bode well for Portland, but if you have a guaranteed asset and that you can say, here's a top two, top three, top four pick or whatnot, it's a lot easier to slide in and help grease the wheels for other teams and then pick up their players that they're jettisoning you know, star players that they may be jettisoning, you know, it's, we're not looking at every other team's number one, anybody who wants everybody else's number one, that's not going to happen, but you start looking at their number twos and figure out the ones that can pair well with Damian Lillard. You can start sliding in and it's like, Hey, if this team is getting rid of this, you know, power forward, but here we have the sixth pick in this chat in this draft, you can take uh Jarcy Walker, uh, God help me if I'm pronouncing his first name, right. Or, you know, we have number three, you know, here, take Brandon Miller. Now you guys have what is going to be a future star at a cheaper rate, but this, we're going to take this guy who fits now our more win now mode off your hands, you know, kind of slide in and help facilitate those deals. If that makes sense, you know, it doesn't have to be straight up, but uh, having, having one of these top 10 picks is very good grease for the wheel to get some shit done. Yeah, I, I agree. I think so. I'm not, neither one of us are like super cap experts, but again, the other complicating factor is the salary the Blazers have in return. So like if the Blazers, like their most important salary pieces are Anthony Simons and Yusuf Nurkic, both of whom have, you know, different salaries and also both have different perceived values on those contracts where I think Anthony Simons is a probably a slight plus value um, given his age and his potential and that Yusuf Nurkic is probably a slight negative, although his contract looks a little, it looks, I know his contract looks a little I, bit better. I think, than I think, it's, I think there's a, there's a perceived bias in Portland to kind of view it a little more negatively than it may necessarily be viewed. Again, it, it's hard. It's hard to look at these things in, in, in the lens of talking in generalities, because it, it always depends on what's the team. Well, and that's what, why, what, I mean, yes. Totally. It does. And it depends on where the team is in their life cycle. And like, we're kind of assuming, I think to, to this conversation, we are assuming we take Joe Cronin at his word that they're trying to build around Damian Lillard. So we start there. That makes it easier, right? Cause if you're trying to permutate this out based on different blazer strategies, which they probably have, but that conversation would take too long. So then to your point, yes. Like what do other teams need? What do the contracts look like? So let me, let me bring us back around though. If, if you're curious too, just real quick on this, cause I just, I just pulled this information up. So, I mean, you're looking at two, like those, while we're talking salary fillers and those kind of things, you know, those picks themselves actually do have legit numbers and salaries tied behind them. And so I'm not going to relate with the number with one. It. I'm not going to relay what the number one pick is because if the Blazers get that great, we're just going to pay it and take it the doesn't guy. Matter. All, yeah, well, yeah, exactly. Totally. You know, the, the second pick is, or, you know, you're talking about an $8.2 million value, third pick, 7.4 million, fourth pick, 6.6 million. Uh, you know, uh, uh, your smallest of this end is down at the ninth or ninth pick, which is within their range. That's $4.2 million in salary. So, I mean, it's not an insignificant amount to sneeze at, you know, you're talking between either half, half of, or a, a quarter of a use of Nurkic. <laughs> I mean, that's, but that's not like, so 
I really, honestly, this is where preparation is wonderful, but, but, let's but just, that's where I'm saying it in the regards of like, okay, say the Blazers get the, 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 the fourth pick, they have no interest in keeping it, but team X out there wants that fourth pick and Anthony Simons and is willing to give up some form of a star. That's you what know, I was going to say. Is it like, let's say, okay, Pascal Siakam. So, let's just throw it out there. Okay. So those two salaries between Anthony Simons and the fourth pick right. is over $30 million. And Pascal Siakam makes $37 million in the final year of his contract. So I think there's what it has to be within 20%. 120%. 120% is there is your window. So, so that would be pretty th- close right there. And the Blazers could probably make something like that work. Yeah, you throw a Keon Johnson or something in there and there's, there's your salary filler there. It works. But So here, here's where I'm trying to get to though, is we're talking about a player like Pascal Siakam who makes, you know, $37 million. And then you're including Anthony Simons and the pick, you know, you're talking about, I I mean, Jalen Brown, I don't think is available, you know, like I'm trying to look quickly. Jimmy Butler, he's kind of old, but goddamn, is he good? Like it would be kind of fun to see him and Dame play for one year. Maybe. Um, I think the heat, I think the heat are making the finals. So I, I don't think Butler's on the table there. Well, I mean, I mean, hot, not, maybe not such a hot take. I don't think it matters really. Like if they make the finals or not, I think they're probably pretty sanguine about the fact that they're ending the life cycle of that team's usefulness at some point anyway. And by the way, Jimmy Butler, goddamn, $45 million next year, 48, the next and 52 in 2026. Holy shit. That's a lot of money. But the point is like, it, it's, it's not always super the blazers do have pieces to make a move but not a ton of them and like so for example if you're saying i'm gonna get rid of the lottery pick and simons and you're getting butler back like you can't even get to that salary level right like really depends on the player like um but let me let me bring this back and you can interject however you feel necessary but i do want to bring it back to the ninth pick because this could happen it probably won't you know, I don't even want to say this, but I think the odds of the Blazers, no, it's less. It's so I was going to say the odds of them getting ninth are about what they were of the Blazers getting the number one pick in 2007. And pardon me, because I think I said 2009 earlier was the 07 draft where they got Greg Oden. Um, and I think actually they had like a 2% chance back then. And that would be a 0.6% chance of them falling all the way to ninth. So, but Ryan, like just really quick, like what does it mean for this team if they fall all the way to ninth? What do you think the domino effect is of that? Anything? No. You don't think it really matters in the scheme of things? No, because if it's not the number one pick, it's getting traded. Just means you so, got to find more shit to trade. Here, okay. So I have a different take on this. I think if they fall to ninth, I think the Damian Lillard era in Portland is under threat. That's what I think. I think that's a domino effect. Oh, oh God, no. The ninth pick. I think. I think. I think that is the most, the one of the biggest over exaggerations I've ever heard of. This well, situation. this is great because the whole point of this podcast is to share stuff and let people react to it. So if this comes across as being really dumb and misinformed, it's great because it's getting people thinking. But I mean, this draft is deep, but it's not like deep all the way down, right? Like when you're looking at a lot of draft boards, you're seeing there's a clear number one. There's a generational talent, Victor Webinyama. Yes, we know that. Then there's like the second tier that has, depending on who you ask, definitely Scoot Henderson and then probably Brandon Miller. And then one of the Thompson brothers, um, some of them don't include one or both of those, um, you know, on tankathon, it has Amen and Ozzer Thompson going four and five, but After that, it starts, you know, it's the point is, I don't think the value of the ninth pick 
is enough to get you someone even like a Pascal Siakam, which some people would argue is not even enough to like make this team the contender along with some other moves. But like, so do you disagree? I mean, if you're Toronto, are you taking the ninth pick and an Anthony Simons and being happy with that? Like, is that something that you're doing if you're Masai? I'm not trying to say that that's the entirety of the trade, but I'm, I'm just saying that that pick has an intrinsic value. I mean, the other thing to keep in mind is how to do the blazers take, you know, if they do end up with the ninth pick, do they call Chicago and be like, Hey, let's just, you know, where it stands now. Uh, do you, you want that? You want that next pick? You want to get this off your books? I mean, Chicago, if you go and look at some of their stuff, they have, they have no picks of their own They're They need their freaking lottery picks. They need to get some back. So they may have an interest in taking that next pick off the Blazers hands. Well, great. Now you have just opened up the possibility of let's say, and I'm, we're not saying the Blazers are trading Ant, but he's just the easiest name to throw out there. You know, now you have the possibility of the Blazers saying, all right, great. It, it's yeah. Me, me as well. Love the guy. But anyways, um, of saying, all right, here, take Anthony Simons, the ninth pick in this year's draft. And then like, our next or our next two firsts that are available for you. And let's throw in a couple pick swaps. You know, those are the kind of things that, you know, get are going to get the attention. So that, that's fair. You, but here's you, the thing. So I, you're, you're changing my thinking a little bit, but this is what I lean back to when teams are trading for picks, they're trading for potential and for possibility when you know that your pick is like a top three, a top four pick Mm -hmm. that has disproportionate value, particularly in a draft that goes three or four deep, it has extra value than knowing for a fact you're getting the ninth pick. There is a different level of value. I think that you open up doors and you open up conversations with a higher pick that you can't crack with the ninth pick because that's the one pick where you know where it is. The other future picks, you're kind of banking on the Blazers regressing at some point. You know, if you're doing the the cost benefit, if you're another team, you're probably actually feeling pretty good about the Blazers' future first round picks. Those are probably more valuable picks than say a future Thunder pick, a team that has a young core that's probably on the up. Whereas the Blazers in a couple of years are probably cycling out of the Damian Lillard era. So, but I guess my point to you is this, like the one pick that you know where it's going to be when we're making these hypothetical trades is this year's draft pick. You know how deep the draft is, you know, the players. And so I do think that like a top pick has disproportionately more value and opens up more doors than a ninth pick. We'll see. I guess that would be the one philosophical or philosophical difference that we're having is that I believe a ninth pick still technically qualifies as a top pick that's in in the the minds of the gms in the minds of the gms throughout the league anything that falls within a top 10 and this is a draft that has been referenced as being a deep draft a top 10 pick in a deep draft can open a fair amount of doors and you reference Oklahoma city. One thing about it is, you know, while the blazers were hoping that we're, we're not back in the having lottery or having to talk about lottery odds and lottery picks, you know, unless the season went shit and we traded Dame and, you know, here we are for the next five years. But uh, this is the chance to try to strike and make some deals before Oklahoma city fire is really good. And they start leveraging these 17 first round picks that they have over the next five years to start trading for some star players. 
I mean, that makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense from the Blazers perspective. But my argument is that it's not as enticing to other teams. And like, and I just to agree with you a little bit, like this is a deep draft. It's interesting when you look at the top 10 in this draft and you just run through the ages, nearly everyone in the top 10 is like 19 years old, save for the Thompson brothers who were just over 20. And then listen to these heights. Okay. One through 10, seven foot five, six, two, six, nine, six, seven, six, seven, six, eight, six, seven, six, seven, six, seven, six, nine. Ryan, what's the most valuable position in the NBA right now? Uh, small forward wings, right? <laughs> Love by those way, wings, Buffalo sauce. So like, yes, this Scoot has a ton way, of Scoot Buffalo has, sauce. Scoot has the perfect name for his height. What? To have a to be a point guard named Scoot, who's six <laughs> two. It's like the universe just came together and was like, "You're going to be a Scoot." So the point, like, I, so I'm kind of agreeing with you. Yes, it's a deeper draft in a position of need around the league. I actually a different question, a meta question. I wonder if like having all of these this influx of wing talent changes the calculus on how valuable wings are. And also probably this board looks the way it does because people know that wings are so highly valued. Right. So, well, that's, and that's one of the other things to, to keep in mind too, is you look at that, that, it, this is a wing draft. And so for one scoring is at an all time premium in, in the league. And then wings are also highly coveted. Uh, so if you're going to look at the blazers landing outside the number one pick, and then you have this absolute ex- load of wing players coming in and you can then also trade a, a high volume score in Anthony Simons, like you can address a lot of the multiple needs of teams I'm just, yeah, I guess what I'm, what I'm claiming here as we're going to move away from the ninth pick is there's a drop off. Like it's not that it's not deep at 10, but it's not the same value proposition for another team than if you had a top four pick, that's all like, and again, like do your own research and you know, you can disagree with me, but like if you are reading like stuff from the ringer, I think does a really thoughtful job of putting their draft stuff together. Um, like I think there's a difference there. So we're going to take a brief break, but I just want to finish. They're probably not going to get the ninth picks. We're probably not going to have to worry about it, but we will pick this up in just a few moments. Stick with us. We are indeed back. And Ryan, we've talked about the ninth pick way more than we need to and way more than we will for any other individual pick. Uh, So we have found a fundamental disagreement about the value of draft picks, depending on where they land. So let me pivot this question to you. You're looking at the lottery odds. You're looking at the picks. At what point, at what pick or around what pick? Do you think a fundamentally different path is opened for the Blazers? Whatever you think that path may be, where does that switch happen for you? What do you mean? Like if... Explain your question a little. So like... No, I refuse. I'm, you know, I have trained in executive coaching. And part of coaching is asking powerful questions, Ryan. So I will let you interpret that. No, I'm just kidding. Um... I guess what I'm trying to ask is the better the pick, the more options they have. Mm -hmm. So at what point at which pick or around what pick 
when we're watching the lottery and we're getting excited or we're getting sad, at what point do you think the Blazers fundamentally have like so many more options that they have like different paths available to them? Where does that switch happen for you or does it? Top four. So anything okay. in the top top four is, that. is by far the most options that they will have. So basically, just really quick, because this is a good way actually to keep us moving. You think that it doesn't really matter what happens unless they get a top four pick. Like it's kind of all the same to you, nine, eight, seven, six, five, kind of. You're kind of like, well, you know, I'm not stressing it too much. They're going to be able to trade it, but you think it really changes the top four. Yes. Uh, the, the, Cronin's job is significantly more difficult with a five through nine pick. It's, it's not, it's not as hard as if they were trying to do this with, and had like the 15th pick, or if they only had the Knicks pick that they have this year, it's not, not that hard, but it is, it is harder in, in that five through nine range. It, that is when you have to start, you know, kind of sweetening the pot a little, throwing in a little more, you know, some more pieces, a top four to be able to move that around is like, at that point in time, you've already probably talked with teams, everyone else within your realm in the lottery, you know, Hey, you know, if we end up with this, if we end up with this, we can talk about this. Those doors are already open. Those conversations have probably, you know, those embers have already been placed. So it's, you're not starting from scratch. You're, you're not starting from a, a place of weakness. Like, Hey, pops up, you end up with the number three pick in this draft. All right, great. You already know which teams you've been talking to and what their interest is and, and, and how you can facilitate that you continue on those conversations. And then if anything changes for your betterment, so be it. So what do you think then if you're just, and I know this is an impossible exercise, but let's say we're watching the draft lottery and Oh my God, they get a top four pick. Let's say they get picks number four or number three. Uh, what do you think that means for the Blazers? Like, what do you think is like the best kind of reasonable outcome um, after this summer, if they were to land a number four or number three pick? I think an interesting option, and this would be the most difficult slash nuclear option. And I think with some of the pieces on this roster, it could work and it would still it would keep you maybe a year or two away still from contention but say the blazers get you know the number three pick i don't think it's necessarily outside the realm of the possibility that they could have the internal conversation and say all right number three and dame for wemby to a team i don't if see any other team if, doing that. If, if a team would do it i don't see i don't I, I don't know but you know, it's, it's well, listen, because we, you kind of cracked it open anyway. Let's just, let's talk about the fun one. Cause like, let's cause this is to your point that you just made. Um, I don't think any team, the blazers or otherwise, I don't think they're trading the number one pick unless it is for a very specific kind of player. And I love Dame and I don't think it's Dame. <laughs> like that's uh, like, I think like, are you, are you of the mindset? It's Giannis and that's it. Yes, correct. Okay. I think that the injury history and the age and the current talent level and the future production, he's the only player, in my opinion, that that all lines up for. Okay. So 
Like I, I, am in, like, I am in agreement with you on this, by the way, this had floated out there. I, I, I knew there was, yeah, a, yeah. knew there was a trading Dame itch that you needed to scratch at some point in this pod. There's actually, you know, there's not like to me, like I'm maybe I'm dumb. I'm of the opinion that they should try as hard as they possibly can, no matter the pick to keep Dame, have him retire in Portland and then build statues of him. Again, get what we talked about earlier about Brandon Roy. We need players to connect generations and to connect the fans with the franchise. And Damian Lillard is the only person who can do that. So in my humble opinion, but um, so let me just give my opinion on, on three, on the picks four and three Um, very good picks. Uh, I do think that you're getting into the territory where the teams may not value the pick as much as the player they'd be willing to trade for it. Um, I actually think that picks three and four though, given even with that in mind, I think pick number four, pick number three are the most likely picks where you'd see something like Anthony Simons for Pascal Siakam as the base of the trade with the number three pick. I think Mm -hmm. that's when those kinds of trades start opening up. I think where I am a little less likely to think a trade will happen is with the number two pick specifically. So that's where like, I don't know, like it's interesting to think, well, yeah, go for it. Yeah. Well, because I think with the number two pick, then it it limits your options because now you're trying to find a team that's desperate for a point guard. Because, I mean, the general consensus in this draft has always been Victor one, Scoot two. And then Scoot would be number one in a different draft. Correct. Uh, hands down without a doubt. So, I mean, you kind of do, you know, when you're looking at, you know, like Brandon Miller with a small forward, which I have a question for him or about him for you later. But when you're looking at this scoot, now you're pretty much stuck dealing with a team that they're in desperate need of a point guard now. Or, you know, they're looking to build around a guard because they maybe have, you know, a something else, whatever, but they're, they're, they need a point guard. That's that's, they're looking for what we were looking for when we got Dame, they need their point guard of the future, but yeah. So number two, I think it it's, it'll, it opens a lot of doors, but it's very, I don't know. They're niche doors for lack of a better term. I, yeah. I like, I trust, you know, Cronin and Mike Schmitz in their short time, have shown themselves to be good evaluators of draft talent. And I trust that they're going to take the best player available if they end up keeping the pick. I also trust that NBA front offices are, you know, best player available oriented. So while I do think that him being a point guard and the consensus number two is a limiting factor, I don't think it's as limiting as you suggest. I think the thing for me, the reason why I think that that pick may not be traded is just that the perceived value of the pick is going to be too different between what the Blazers think it's worth and what other teams think it's worth. Like I, again, like to, I keep using, I don't know why I keep using Pascal Siakam, but like, I think there's a world in which that level of player, the Blazers would not be willing to trade Simons and the number two pick for Siakam that they would ask for something else in return and that the Raptors would bulk. So that, that that's where it's like, I think the value of that number two pick maybe a little bit squirrely. And like, I tried to do some research a little bit, but in like, I was trying to go back and see like, which really high lottery picks have been traded on draft day. And you just don't see it happen a ton. Like 
you know, the Blazers, you may remember long ago when LaMarcus Aldridge was swapped the number two pick for number four, uh, Blazers sent Tyrus Thomas to the bulls. Blazers got LaMarcus Aldridge that worked out great. But when you're just looking through them, it's not like there's like this giant history to pull from. Like, so I, I don't know, man, like that's, I think if the Blazers get number two, I think they're keeping it not because they want to keep it, but because they can't find the value that they believe that pick has. And actually I hate to even say this. Think of the Blazers get the number two pick. I also think that puts the Dame era in jeopardy as well. Eh. For that exact reason. I'm a hard disagree on that. Tell me more about that. Again, I just think that it's the, 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 it, the number two pick it's I, I don't fully buy your logic with this value talk. You don't There's think it'd be hard be, to trade basically new again. It's that five through nine. That's your diff. That's, you know, it becomes a little more difficult two through four super easy, barely an inconvenience. Let's see if anybody gets that reference. So let's like, but let's, let's think about this. If you are Joe Cronin or Mike Schmitz, and you're telling yourself with the number two pick specifically, this pick would have been a number one pick in most any other draft. We just so happen to have a generational LeBron or above type of talent, you know, possibly Mm -hmm. the best player who's ever played the game in the waiting. If not for that, this number two pick would be the first pick. If you value the pick that way, you're not going to trade it for Pascal Siakam. You're not going to trade that pick for find a Jimmy different Butler. player than Pascal. Pascal is not going to fix anything with the Blazers, by the way. Fine, I don't if know. The Blazers yeah, tra- I, I get it. If like, the yes. Blazers trade a top four pick and it's not Pascal and OG, both of them coming back. Ah, no, I'm out on Pascal. You're not going to trade like, yeah. What are other good examples of like teams that would be reasonably willing to trade players that the Blazers would be? You're not going to trade a number one pick in any other draft from Mikhail Bridges, for example. Maybe that's a better name to use. There we um, go. Now we're more in the. Okay. Thank you. Well, you should have piped up earlier, damn it. But like, I guess my point is this, and I want you to consider it and respond. The reason why I think the Blazers will have trouble trading the number two pick is because if they value that as an equivalent number one pick and other teams just don't, then they're not going to find what they consider equal value or close to equal value. That's the premise of my opinion. See, I, th- see, I think, but other teams would value okay, it that way. That's yes. That's that. So, so I think that is very fair. So tell me then, like, what does it, what does a trade look like for number two? Because like, look, if they get a number two pick and other teams value it that highly, then I'm like, well, fuck, you don't have to trade ant, right? <laughs> like that's when you start getting into like, well, then this pick by itself, right? This trade, mm-hmm. this pick by itself is worth enough to get a really good player and keep Anthony Simons or to spin it into like a bigger package with more stuff coming back. Like, I mean, that I, I hate to get too excited about it, but like, if if you're really interested in like, yeah, I don't know. Like, that, do you see what I'm getting at though? Like, um, yes. Because every trade that I think of involves Anthony Simons and a pick. But if you really think that the rest of the league values that number two pick as a number one pick in any other draft, then you're like, well, I don't want to trade it. 
So I, well, yeah, other, th- other things to think about, and this is a complete, I have not run the numbers on this zero clue. If it works, don't care. Here's my pie in the sky, hypothetical, you know, of a dream. The Sixers don't end up closing out the series. They get bounced. The rumors of James Harden wanting to go back to Houston are true. Houston has to put together, you know, something, you know, I can't remember. Is Harden still under contract this year, next year? Yes, I think he is. You know, so, you know, he could want to go back to Houston or, you know, 76ers don't want to lose him for nothing. So they're talking about a sign and trade. Well, Houston ends up with a top four lottery pick. All right, great. Let's end up getting a third party involved. You know, uh, you know, Harden's coming back there. 76ers are like, well, shit, we, you know, we lose, we lose Harden, you know, and Bede's like, all right, I'm done. I'm out. And Bede now wants out. All right, great. Now we have two team or two teams in the Blazers in Houston who could project be projected to have top four lottery pick, or let's say they both end up there. You know, now we're looking at three team deals to get, you know, and beat out of freaking uh, and beat out of uh, Philly and Harden to Houston. And how are we facilitating this? You know, they might view that as a lot better, you know, Hey, we have these two top four picks in this year's draft to immediately start a rebuild, you know, and whatever future picks from both those teams. Those are the kind of things where I look at, like, I try not to always view it as a one-on-one scenario because it always depends on what the hell that team thinks they need. But if you look at it situationally where things like that come up, how can the Blazers jump in? How can they use this pick and help, help themselves while, you know, helping another team increase the trade package or facilitate moves like that? Those are the kind of things that I look at it with. Okay. So, you know, and by the way, I'm not, I'm not hanging my hat on that, but I'm just using that as kind of like an example of like, one franchise is wanting to burn it down and start over. Where can the Blazers, you know, jump in and, you know, help them start over as fast as possible. And that's a kind of situation where I think of Harden wants to go back to Houston. Great. Let's say Houston ends up with the number three pick, you know, Blazers end up with, you know, even the number two pick in this. And like I said, once Harden wants out, then Embiid wants out. All right, great. You, you don't think Philly mm. could look at this and be like, Oh, we have a number two and number three pick and a couple futures. And, you know, maybe whatever throw in player you want salary wise to make that shit work. You don't think that they're going to think about getting that. Yeah. You know. And actually listening to you talk, uh, made me think, I just, I mean, you, you were kind of saying it, but to reiterate this point that I didn't think about before in my own thinking, if the Blazers get the number two pick and another team has a pick that's a couple spots lower and they're really in love with a particular player that opens up doors for the Blazers to get something in return for dropping down. And then they can still make a trade with Anthony Simons and say the number five pick or number six pick with another team. Right. So it's like, yeah, they're getting something plus they're still able to make that trade. So I actually didn't consider that, which shame on me. Um, but let's, all right. This has all been very interesting, Ryan, but let's cut, let's cut the shit, bro. Let's talk about if, look, how, how much are you shitting your pants in excitement? If the Blazers get the number one pick, cause I gotta tell you, I think my washing machine is going to be full. (laughs) Uh, in all honesty, for as much as I've talked about it with so many people and including, you know, even, even you on this podcast right now, I'm not letting myself even think about it until oh, man, it this is the only time to do it. I am going full Brandon Sprague. Portland doesn't get nice things. 
So until we get nice things, I'm not going to believe we get nice things. I'm not going to, and this, this is coming from a lifelong Blazers fan. I have taught myself to not get my hopes up, appreciate the good things when they happen, but do not build up unrealistic expectations because it will only lead to a crushing defeat. I think that part of being a well-rounded, well-adjusted person is considering all of the potential possibilities. And the reality is, Ryan, for as much time as we talked about picks number four and three and two, there is an equal chance that the Blazers get the number one pick to any one of those other picks. And I don't think it's irresponsible for us to simply imagine what if for a moment and then shelve it in the appropriate 10.5% size box that it belongs. That's not a huge chance, right? Mm -hmm. Like you're talking about one in 10. If you're on survivor, the shot in the dark is one in six. If you are, I can't even think of another corollary. The chances are not very high. By the way, the shot in the dark has only been played successfully once in survivor history for all of you survivor heads out there. Uh, And it happened this season. In fact, Um, so yes, I, I, but fine. You don't want to talk about it. I do really quick. If the Blazers, if, 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 if they get the top pick, I am going to have a full body convulsion. I'm going to uh, irresponsibly be tweeting. I'm going to be irresponsibly Facebooking. I'm going to be irresponsibly texting. I'm going to be irresponsibly Instagramming. I'm in, my wife is going to be so upset with me. And so are you because everyone close to me is going to feel the, absolute unbridled enthusiasm that I have for the Blazers getting number one pick. So yes, my washing machine will be full of poopy pants. I'm going to be so excited. Uh, it's, it's going to be, it would be a franchise altering event in a way that we can't quite comprehend. I'm happy to dream about that for a moment because there may be a moment when we can't dream about that anymore. And so I'm going to appreciate that I can do that right now. Well, I guess the only planning that I should do is to figure out who I'm going to need to call for bail money, because if it happens and I'm at Bricks Tavern, I may just strip down naked and go running through the streets. And I'm just hoping, I'm just hoping that for one, you know, everybody else in Bricks Tavern is also joining me in, in that same. I mean, I'm surrounded by Blazer fans at that point in time. Uh, but yeah, I, I may need to go. There's going to be too. people are going to throw beer in the air. Hopefully not the glasses. Like, there's going to be shit being thrown in the air. There's going to be hugs. People will be honking their horns. It's honestly like, again, like I get that it probably won't happen, but if it does, it's going to be fucking cool. Like seriously. Yeah. Uh, and do I, we like, want to end this by taking a spin on the, uh, on the tankathon? Oh Lord. I, well, I'll leave Just, that decision uh, to you. My first uh, thought is like, I'm so in this little hope phase that I love being in it, then we do have to check back in with reality. Sure. Go for it. All right. So this is great radio, Brian. Uh, yeah, you, you are, you are, you are bringing the full weight of reality and logic to this discussion. As you go to tankathon and you hit the button to see what I'm the on my seventh says. time of hitting the button. I'm not going to say anything until it gives you happy news. Jesus Christ. No, 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 no. <laughs> Come on. No, no. What was the, just, just share when you okay, hit the first time. I can time. go in order. Say? It went six, eight, four, two, and now we're back at six. So like, I think that that's like, hey, what you there just we said. Go, number one. Okay. Six, eight, four, two, six, one. Right. So, yes. you know, like in that 
in those numbers that you just heard, you hear where the likelihood it's going to probably end up as slightly underwhelming. Having said that, again, like I don't want to ignore the fact that there's a nearly 50% chance that the Blazers get a top four pick. The tanking that they did was not for naught. It mattered. The Blazers have a very good chance at a top four pick. And what they did this year, knowing that the season was not going to end in a championship or anything close, the tanking they did was meaningful and it mattered. And it doesn't matter if they get a top pick or not. The fact that they're in this position where you and I can talk about a nearly 50% chance of a top four pick means that it mattered and it worked. And also it, it raised the floor of the potential worst pick they could get, which also matters. And if you're a big Ryan Whitledge supporter, you believe it doesn't even matter if they get the number nine pick. They could still make a cool trade. If you're a Brandon Golder supporter, then you're a little bit more pessimistic about it. But like, that's, that's all. Like, I think like I'm excited for the draft lottery. I will be finding a way to watch, um, you know, even, I mean, this sounds kind of awful and I'm back, you know, never mind. I'm going to find a way to watch. That's the point. Um, I wish I could join you at Bricks Tavern and everyone else there. Is there anything else that you want to touch on before we adjourn? Uh, no, sir. No, sir. Okay. I just see you clicking around over there. What are you doing there? I'm just making sure that it's on ESPN. <laughs> it is. Yeah. Okay. And I, again, I don't, what I don't know is whether or not league pass is carrying it. You got to imagine that they are, by the way, one cool thing about being in New Zealand I can legally access NBA league pass from New Zealand and I don't get iced out of any of the games and the price is actually pretty reasonable. So shout out to New Zealand for that. Um, nice. I guess I'm saying, you, yeah, move to New Zealand for league pass. That's, that's what I'm saying. There's plenty of other websites that are cheaper than the move to New Zealand. Man, you know what? It honestly is nice to see, like, you get the games on record. You can pause them. You can go back. Like, it's it's worth, again, it's it's a little bit more reasonable than the state. But if you want to talk that over anything else, you can always do that at welikeTheBlazers at gmail.com. Find us at, uh, at LikeTheBlazers on Twitter. You can find him at... Uh, what's your Twitter handle? God, wow. You you were really off that site for yeah, a while. The witty, look, I, the witty Ryan. The witty Ryan. I'm back on Twitter. Why am I there? At Golden PDX. Look, man, I, 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 I did a hard run today. I'm ending my term of school. I have one more term before I graduate. I'm really excited about that. I started a new job. I had a week, like... Shit's going down for me, so my brain is whatever. But you can reach out to us. We appreciate you all. It, I, I hope, last thing, when we readjourn, that we are just unreasonably excited for some cool thing that happened during the draft lottery. After I've been and, bailed out of jail and you have done all the laundry. Even Well, look, I mean, <laughs> even if it's not a number one pick, I hope something cool happens. Tune in next Tuesday. Um, that's Ryan. I'm Brandon. Appreciate you all. Until next time, go Blazers. Go Blazers.